We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you. And we are a few days removed from the draft. I think we've gotten a chance to catch up on sleep, recharge our respective uh, batteries. No? Still no? I've, I've had time to reflect uh, late at night and early in the morning with very red eyes and <laughs> a dragging pulse. But, uh, yeah, I've done that at least since the draft. Well, uh, we'll, we'll say that that counts. So, either way, um, the draft is in the books now, and we, we've had some time to digest one way or the other uh, the things that went down during the draft. So um, I want to start out just kind of talking redraft rookies, guys that we think are going to have the biggest impacts uh, here in year one. And obviously with with the news earlier this week regarding Isaiah Crowell yeah. uh, tearing his Achilles in a workout we were all we were always kind of you know lukewarm on Josh Jacobs the prospect himself, but at this point the runway is so clear for him to you know kind of have a top thirty ish type of fantasy value for this year. I, I think uh, top thirty overall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I'll be think... shocked. If, I mean, if Royce Freeman's uh, value last year like crept inside the top top 40 by the time that draft season was over what was it that high Damn. it was okay uh, so josh um, jacobs can definitely be in the top 30 yeah if so i probably won't be picking him but it when i uh on monday or was it monday sunday i don't know a few days ago before the crowell news came out 
I posted my post-draft top 36 for dynasty purposes, which is slightly different than redraft, but there's of course still a, uh, you know, emphasis on on the immediate return so those are the guys who generally ranked at the top i had kyler murray at number one before the crowell injury and i know they signed doug martin but i think it would have needed to bend someone more like a jai for me to not move josh jacobs up to number one i had him at five both of them in the first tier i had five player top tier now i'm probably gonna have jacobs up at one but i i guess the way i see it is he'll have like a busy rookie year but not necessarily a very efficient or explosive one i can imagine it being like 3.7 4.1 yards per carry kind of thing but he could go upwards of uh i don't know like i guess 280 carries or something like that and it's kind of something to consider that he's as young as he is he only turned 21 in february i don't know if that'll give oakland any pause to the question of you know should we should we go over 20 carries in any particular game should, should. We, um, should get them while they're young yeah it's just uh it's like one of those things where it's like i don't know uh because he is as young as he is i don't know if there's a risk of him breaking down as opposed to if he would had been like 22 and a half or something like that 23 he's but, already relatively fresh coming in compared to even a lot of the other top rookie running backs i mean david montgomery probably had more carries this past season than jacobs had in his three-year career at alabama yeah uh i didn't even mean so much from the tread i just mean like guys who are in that like 23 24 year old range who are in college still you can always tell because it's just like they're just way more physically like that last that extra year or two does help the physical development and for that reason for the long term i can imagine jacobs you know not adding weight but maybe getting a little bit faster or something because he's only he just turned 21 so this is a bit of you know kind of just mostly focusing on college a lot of the times guys that come out of alabama and are in their strength and conditioning program for three plus years they're different than That's most of your run-in-the-mill 24 year old you know guys that that uh or I'm saying that they're basically on par with being an NFL level strength and conditioning program right away when they're 18. That's so he's different than most 21 year olds. That's true, uh, but uh, with with you know whatever considered, he hasn't been a workhorse player, sure. and I don't know if uh, a player his age categorically projects as well for that. He could be the exception, and and uh, there's the reasons you said are are, are good ones to think that he you know plausibly is one i just don't know how much we can really take for granted like i i get the top 30 thing for me i think i'd need to believe he's a better player before i'd be willing to pay that because i feel like there is a non-zero chance that you know if, especially if it's something something stupid happens like he fumbles two times in his first four games i can imagine doug Gruden martin would go nuts i can imagine doug martin getting like you know 12 carries a game over the next two months after that happened or something so if jacobs is not more efficient than i'm expecting him to be then uh i'd be too worried about the risk of that happening and so uh i i probably would be more likely to end up with him in an auction than a redraft because uh what people get kind of uh justifiably they get more interested in reaching for players when it's the prospect of you know a workhorse running back that they're reaching for so whereas like on my board in a snake draft he might be i don't know whatever 40 just for the hypothetical sake 
he could still go something like 28 just because the guy on the clock at that spot is thinking oh uh you know he's the last one like dalvin cook just went and now i gotta take him now or he's not gonna be there so i can see him getting helium from that and i'll just never be the helium person so if he is a helium player i'll probably miss i'd be more likely to have an auction roster where i'm like oh i can justify this price if accounted for other things there's there's that but uh with that said he is for me the top dynasty uh rookie asset in this draft until further notice like it would take probably a jai signing or you know some some other kind of thing uh getting in the way because there doesn't i don't think doug martin is a you know a real running back really no no he's just sort of insurance at this point one other you know sort of wrinkle that i think we should discuss just briefly when when it comes to jacobs and specifically the raiders we had them ranked as our 29th ranked offensive line last year they were 20 Six in rushing yards per game generated uh, this past season. They did lose Kalecio Semele this this off season, so they added Trent Brown. I'm a little worried about because he's got no. I mean, we're we're not O line experts, but no Scarnecchia. That's there's a drop right. as far as the O line. That matters goes. a lot. I mean, maybe Trenton figured something out under uh, what is it Scarnecchia? Scarnecchia, yeah. Scarnecchia's uh, direction, and maybe just kind of retained that lesson now, or he could leave that you know pleasant little greenhouse that sarnecchia has over there and just like immediately wilt when thrown into the harsh conditions of uh, the oakland uh landfill that that he'll instead have to play in from now on uh the 49ers had that guy two years ago and they traded him away for like nothing he only had one good year i think it was he was only in new england for one year yeah so there's a lot that can go wrong with that uh even if it does work they kind of overpaid i think they're sticking with Colton Miller at left tackle, and there's plenty of things to worry about there. I mean, total freak athlete, but wasn't able to harness many of his talents last year or at UCLA, really. No. So he was a project even when he got drafted last year. Yeah, so I I actually would value Jacobs substantially more, I think, in PPR scoring than standard because I'm basically skeptical that he'll get the touchdowns, but I am not skeptical of his 60 catch upside. Like, even with Richard there... I think, and I think Richard's totally good, and I don't, I don't think they can remove Richard from that offense to justify Jacobs. But uh, they both might need to be busy as pass catchers because this defense will probably not be much better. Like it'll probably maybe a little better, but probably won't be good. No. And that offense is going to probably need to throw the ball a lot, and specifically, it's probably going to need to do quick drops because that's just what Derek Carr does anyway. And if that offensive line doesn't get uh if that offensive line doesn't drastically outperform any reasonable projection you could give it then they're not going to have the luxury of doing like deep play action seven step drop kind of things and if you're not throwing to antonio brown uh tyrell williams is of course there but they don't even really have a third receiver they don't have a established tight end on a team that might need to throw the ball uh you know top 10 in the league in terms of volume so there could be targets for both Richard and Jacobs and Jacobs was you know as much as I have these questions about him I don't question his pass catching like he was very good at that at Alabama and it was almost like disproportionately good at that for how his rushing production was like he had a lot of catches for a guy who had as few carries as he did so I'm pretty optimistic about that like I think he can give 50 60 catches this year but I'm not going to expect more than like, like, I don't know if I'd take the over on six and a half touchdowns, you know, just because things can go wrong with the Raiders. And if they're scoring touchdowns, things are probably going right. No, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's definitely fair. And it, it's 
fair to you know have some questions about uh, that team context specifically and, and how how much or how well that offense is going to be functioning, how often it's going to be getting into the red zone. You did bring up an in- interesting wrinkle as far as his pass catching ability. I feel like that was sort of a lost in the wash sort of narrative during his pre-draft process a little it bit. was under that was what was so weird or one of the weird things about it anyway like he had his super fans uh before they the draft and they'd re- never brought it was like are you guys do you guys are you thinking of mark ingram or something because <laughs> i think you're talking about someone totally different than me it's like my my first uh thing noticing his box score is just like oh that's really good pass catching production and like better then the other Alabama backs who, uh, at least in Harris's case, I thought he was a fine pass catcher, but Jacobs was better than he was at it. So it was like, oh, that's that's why he's unique. He's a 220-pounder who can catch the ball, but you'd read these pro-Jacobs fanatics and they're just like, he's so good at just breaking tackles and stuff and they just love watching his tape. And it's like, that's... Point the, to a video of talking about his cutting ability. In the same video, he falls down making a cut. Yeah, one of my so, favorite moments of of this draft season really was was people getting nuts about that. Yeah, the the film people, oh, yeah. the film people are so so weird. But uh, any case, they they missed over his easiest selling point, which is like, look at how good of a pass catcher he is already, and that's uh, that's arguably more important for a fantasy running back projection than the, just the raw open field running ability or the raw tackle breaking ability because if you can catch the ball really effectively that will correlate to a higher snap count and the opportunity comes with snaps so he'll stay on the field uh Jalen Richard aside if he catches the ball as well as we have reason to think he might especially in an offense the, the other thing about that offense is it might need to be one of the most pass heavy in the league and yet it's number three receiver might be hunter, hunter renfro right now and that doesn't seem right like if hunter renfro caught 60 passes this year wouldn't that seem eerie when that but wouldn't that fit in line with the, a bit of just Derek carr's tendency as a you know seven ypa type of guy right but it's i think everybody's like aside from tyrell i guess i think antonio brown they're gonna have running short routes because Derek Carr is not gonna throw it to him deep and you're not gonna have this however many million dollar a year receiver just not getting thrown to so they're gonna they're gonna force it if how, I somehow see screwing it up with tyrell more than antonio yeah. brown then yeah totally i mean it's just uh they might need to run a lot of three receiver sets they might need to throw the ball more than most teams and they just don't really have the infrastructure to carry that and if the traditional infrastructure anyway and so i'm not really going to bet on hunter renfro picking it all up i think richard and jacobs have to if it's unless it's just you know a non-starter scenario if the, if the ball is not moving then i guess no one's taking it but if if car is completing passes as much as he typically would for the number of passes we have reason to think he'll throw then it's like, tyrell and antonio brown aren't enough yeah so. no no yeah so that that like you said does lead it and especially when they don't have a really good pass catching tight end or a good pass blocking line no not at all so that, that does portend to yeah. some check downs uh so we could see a ton of catches there for jacobs you mentioned film guys uh, a minute ago so of course we got to jump next to david montgomery and oh what yes his outlook uh looks like for this year because jordan howard leaves behind a ton of carries uh obviously they, they brought in mike davis his offseason tree cohen i think is still an ascending player um really uh great year last year and reason to believe that he'll continue on that upward trajectory but montgomery being brought in suggests that you know i think that he's going to have a fairly significant role especially where his draft slot was um but what is your sort of expectations of him now that we know where he fell in the draft i think it was one of his best possible landing spots and 
it's the kind of case where again i'm probably not going to be the person who buys montgomery just because he he usually has his super fans and i'll just never be willing to to match their bid but if i'm in a league where there are no super fans i guess i could end up with him because redraft two not just dynasty uh, mike davis was pretty good last year but he gets hurt i mean he did at south carolina he, he got nicked up he got nicked up when he was on the, the 49ers and seahawks and whatever other team he might have been on so both dynasty where it's i think really easy to sell yourself on montgomery and then redraft there's a chance that davis i guess is just worse than montgomery but i think most people I think his super fans anyway are overestimating that probability. Like I think they're underrating Mike Davis in they that are. case, or maybe overrating Montgomery. I, I don't like know. They are like willfully ignoring what he did on it. Mike Davis did on a per carry basis last year. Yeah, and Mike Davis was a really good player at South Carolina. So it's not as if there's any evidence that Montgomery there there is no evidence that Montgomery is a better prospect than Davis. There just isn't. There's there's the arbitrary valuation of a four six three guy with a 28 and a half inch vertical who couldn't average more than like four and a half yards a carry in the big 12 and then there's davis who say what you will about him he got over five yards a carry in the sec he got the ball well there he's a better athlete than david montgomery so i know it's people are going to say like oh well he was a fifth round pick montgomery's a way better prospect not on an objective basis in an objective basis davis is the more convincing player however the bears are not particularly committed to him and if Montgomery is breaking tackles the way he did in the college level, then that'll work. I guess I am kind of skeptical that he'll break tackles on that basis. I yeah, think a lot like of it almost an impossible rate to hold up, especially jumping from the Big Twelve to the NFL. Yeah, and I know how how entertaining it is to watch his Iowa State tape, and I know he has a ton of motor, and he legitimately did break a lot of tackles, but. If you have to break that many tackles to average 4.4 yards per carry in the Big 12, that scares me because it's it's kind of analogous I think to like if imagine if there was like a 5 foot 8 receiver who made his living in college by winning jump balls. You oh, look okay, at you look yeah. at that and it's like I don't know if I want to bet on Wait that translating. <laughs> and uh, it's not quite that dreary with Montgomery, but um for as much as he slips tacklers with his jukes as much as he gets under guys pads and kind of like carries them a few more yards i'm worried about it just looking like a bunch of dancing in the nfl that goes nowhere and uh he he needs definitely more of like a north south kind of emphasis if it's going to work otherwise guys are just going to keep catching him over and over from behind while he's he's juking a guy in front of him three more behind him he doesn't see them yeah that's it that's a huge thing i think because obviously there's going to be a jump in a major jump in improvement and i think this is something that his biggest defenders w- would always go back to is is how bad the offensive line was and how much penetration they were, they were giving up but i never you know, really it, noticed it that much like have you seen sec tape like if it's not alabama everybody's offensive line can get swarmed pretty like, much but uh you know he is going to be playing behind an improved line but at the same time i think you brought up a really good point where he does seem to be really indecisive behind the line sometimes and that that can end up with him getting caught um, you know, behind the line. So I could see a situation where, you know, Alex Collins has that same problem or, or had that same problem. Now he's unemployed right now. That's where a pretty good just, comparison, he just, actually. He just always danced behind the line. And the, like once, once the Ravens went to like Gus Edwards, Gus Edwards, just literally no fluff to his running style. He's just like, I have the ball, I'm going to run. And, mm-hmm. and it worked a lot better that way. So Montgomery needs to kind of cut that out, actually. I think I 
posited the comparisons for David Montgomery to be Marcel Ship at the low end and then like Marion Barber at the very highest. But uh, th- yeah, that Alex Collins one is a good one because he's he like David Montgomery is a guy who was supposed to be um, like a cut heavy guy who breaks tackles, runs with a hot motor. But he had similarly dreary athletic testing. Like he had, like he was the one who like did the twenty-eight inch running back vertical before Montgomery mm-hmm. and like Fournette and those guys all got in on it. But uh, I th- I think that's yeah that's a good comparison. But I, the reason I I ruled out Marion Barber is because like, he was just a way better. People might not have remembered, but Marion Barber was amazing at Minnesota, and he actually tested pretty well. Uh, his pre-draft testing. I think Chris Carson is like the next rung in the ladder of realm of possibility with Montgomery. And even he, uh, he, he had a, what was it? Like, Oh, he had like a 128 inch broad jump or something like that. He had, he had explosive athletic metrics, even as much as he didn't really have speed or quickness. Like he had that sort of uh, jump out of his stance, you know, jump out of the pool kind of thing sure. going on. Whereas Montgomery doesn't have that. He's just, plotting in every athletic aspect aside from his his the balance that he has that makes him a good juker and good at bouncing off people so he'll keep i think bouncing off people it's just one of those things where whereas in college you probably get like a half second to turn up field after each time you break one in the nfl it's more like a you know third of a second to blink yeah something like that and uh if and the thing is there's there's like three guys this time it's not just one a uh, 230 pound linebacker you're chasing you it's like a 270 pound guy who's faster than the 230 pound linebacker and then another 230 pound linebacker who ran like a 458 or something yeah it with better tackling ability so yeah he'll need the volume i think but it's the script could be so favorable to him the way it was with carson kind of last year in seattle where the good defense in chicago kind of just always gives them the option of running the the offense on whatever basis they want to they don't get pressed on offense because they're never in a pressure situation and he could be getting the ball quite a bit in a setting where it's like maybe he's putting up some clouds of dust but chicago is going to keep going back to him because they're just trying to run out the clock like they have a eight point lead and there's 12 minutes left and they don't care like they're just going to keep getting guy who breaks as many tackles as him you know, if the offense is spe- spending a lot of time on the field, the other team's defense is getting tired. He could s- start breaking those tackles and, you know, adding yardage after the broken tackles, something like that. And the other thing is he's a way better pass catcher than Jordan Howard. So Jordan Howard kind of helped the defense clamp down on that offense sure. when he was out there. Yeah, because I mean, it was just a dead giveaway that like they're going to run it probably. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, well, they're not going to use those four pages in the playbook um but so montgomery could cause like a net benefit to the whole offense that way uh, another way that it would help montgomery is if trubisky shows some improvement because the chicago offense was below average last year despite some of trubisky's fantasy highs it was pretty much system stuff and him running the ball a lot that got them there and playing the buccaneers that one time that was awesome yeah um <laughs> but yeah so it's it's one of those things where if trubisky gets better then they can actually run at a more of a tempo and get more plays logged because last year they were low tempo as nagy tried to kind of hide trubisky from defenses that's, yeah that's a really good point if trubisky takes another step that that definitely opens things uh for that offense he's um, not kareem hunt though and i saw the nagy dovetail was like unbearable because oh, so many people yeah. just like 
he knew it. He thinks he's Kareem Hunt too. And it's like just no drawing two circles on a chalkboard and then drawing a line to connect them and like yeah. It's it it's just uh it's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. Kareem Hunt averaged eight yards in one of eight yards per carry in one of his Toledo seasons. Yeah, That's, he, he just ripped the Mac in half. Like that yeah. was he was like a cheat code. He killed Missouri when he played against them his senior year too. So yeah, it's it's like if you want to call someone Kareem Hunt, I need to see some six and a half yards per carry. Someone kind that's, of thing. Run, that's had a run over 39 yards. Montgomery did not have that last year. Oh, dang. That's not that great. Nope. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. If college, <laughs> if, if he can't, that? if he can't hit a 40 yarder in college, then he might be working with a max of like 28 yards or something like that. And if you don't, if you don't, if you don't do something to offset those plays that just go unfairly wrong where you get tackled for three or four yards behind the line of scrimmage, like that's an easy way to end up with like 3.5 yards of carry or something like that. There you go. There you go. I think that that that's a good note to end on as far as David Montgomery goes. Any other rookie running backs that really have your interest as far as this year goes? Because I have like my doubts of, I just think that Philadelphia functions so much better. Yeah, when I don't care about Miles backs. Sanders. So, I like Miles Sanders. I just think that was a bad landing spot for him uh whereas chicago could be a good one for for montgomery but i I like sanders better as a prospect but i think you got to scroll pretty far down to it i mean i think rookie running back that's that interesting unless you really hate todd Gurley. i have daryl henderson way ahead of miles sanders not because i hate Gurley, but because i think there's a role for henderson anyway i I think he's going to contribute receiver snaps i think he's going to be out there at the same time as Gurley. i think I just think Sean McVay can use a guy who is fast, quick, catches the ball well, and averaged almost nine yards a carry the past two years. Like I, I just, yeah, I just can imagine a high draft pick on him. You know? Yeah, and it's but the thing is, if Gurley does miss time, then in that case, Henderson becomes what like the number five running back or something like six, seven at worst. In I would range, guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that upside to me is worth chasing. Whereas with Miles Sanders. Uh, a, I don't think he's as good as Henderson, and B, I think I know they're different players, but I, I just give me Henderson ten times out of ten. Sure, but uh, yeah, like you said, the the structure for Philadelphia in Philadelphia is not beneficial to Miles Sanders. That was one of the worst places he could have gone because there's not much reason to think he'll be as good as Jay Ajayi, and Jay Ajayi would typically cap at about thirty snaps in a game, like, and he could go closer to twenty if it's a game that philadelphia is tying up early on like it would correlate loosely to how competitive the game was but not necessarily and the thing is philadelphia rotates in its backup runners on the first drives of games yes. so if the script does turn into one where they don't need to play their starters late in the game you could have philadelphia running for like 200 yards and the starter could have gotten just like 35 of josh those. adams is just laughing at you yeah, Josh Adams, Corey Clement was doing that to Jay Ajayi all the time. He'd come in at the end of opening drives. Like, Jay Ajayi would be out there for the first, whatever, five snaps, and then Clement comes in to get goal line, uh, red zone carries. <laughs> and it's not because he's their goal line back. It's just like they have a schedule for rotation. And once the play count hits whatever, they're like, next guy's in. Mm-hmm. So maybe Sanders is an exception. Maybe they feed him 250 carries at some point in the next three years, but I think it's more likely – he kind of just does this thing where he fluctuates between, uh, for this year, probably like six to ten carries per game. And then after this year, when I'm assuming Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Howard and Howard, probably between like 12 and 16. And that's that's assuming he doesn't have any kind of fumble issues this year, which I don't know what to think there. The I know a couple of those credited fumbles were just on like muffed kickoffs or something like that. 
but otherwise it's you know it could be a problem because guys who have fumbled a lot less than he did in college still had ball security issues in the nfl people were going uh, nuts over sony michelle and he had way less of a like fumble rate problem yeah that's true and he also had no issue last year as far as that went but uh, amir abdullah's issues carried over to the nfl mm-hmm. uh sometimes it, you know i don't know how i don't know if anyone can predict ball security improvement or whatever but uh there's even weird cases like tiki barber went like his first five nfl seasons just like fumbling everything and then mysteriously stopped doing it one year yeah went, you went high and tight but what, what i meant uh with the sony michelle thing was like if if that level of like ball security issue which is pretty low it is enough to like you know be be someone's con on on, hit, on drafting michelle list then Miles Sanders needs to be completely off your board. Yeah, and I guess it's like in in Michelle's case, the first round selection showed that Belichick decided that the ball security was not an issue because otherwise he wouldn't have taken him that high. I don't know how much commitment that second round pick is for Sanders, and I I don't know. I had I have a lot of respect for Doug Peterson, but I don't quite see him as being as sure about it as as Belichick was with Michelle because Belichick is notoriously short fused about fumbles so Mm -hmm. it's like if he's willing to spend a first round pick on Michelle he must really think he's right whereas Peterson I don't know if he cares as much about the answer to that question so uh besides he's only going to play him 20 snaps anyway what is what's the big deal uh to be serious though Sanders is totally good and he's the most explosive Philadelphia back by quite a bit but uh, I just I just don't know if there's structurally structurally much room for him right away. And you know, let, let's keep it in Philadelphia actually, because JJ Sega Whiteside is one of our you know favorite re- receiver prospects fr- from this class, and yeah. he obviously gets picked up by Philadelphia. But again, it's another situation where it's so crowded. Like I, I don't really see like barring some injuries, which are certainly possible, uh, but between Aguilar or Alshon Jeffrey. Um, but I just think that. Our Sega Whiteside is a nice kind of stowaway in Dynasty for like, you know, 2020 and beyond because for 2019, I just don't really see the target volume necessarily being there for him to be worthy of like a, you know, a roster spot in 12 team leagues. Yeah, it's it's pretty difficult to see how he makes an immediate impact. I think he's really good, so I don't want to rule it out. I mean, Besides, he's basically like a, he's a lot like Alshon in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think he's I think he's about as technically refined as a rookie receiver can be i think i think jeffrey's more toolsy but not necessarily even now as skilled like arcega whiteside is just kind of like uh he he compared himself to michael thomas and i guess that kind of works because he's just so polished as a route runner Mm -hmm. and from the technical aspects it's how you put up the really explosive downfield numbers that he did even though you're only running a four five eight or whatever he did it's because he just keeps getting people to you know twist their ankles when they try to run with him so he's got a lot to work with he can line up in a lot of looks he can play slot or outside you can probably even give him some of the the positioning uh, the personnel tasks that you do to like the tight ends there's probably some zach Ertz plays that jj arcega white side can run so I think there are some subtle ways that he could get on the field. It's just it it usually it will probably require something like, you know, one of Jeffrey or Zach Ertz gets hurt. But I mean, Ertz was a guy who's playing like 14 games a year up until two years ago. Jeffrey finds lots of ways to get hurt. So there's a way. And if he's on the field, I want to buy in because I just don't I just do not see 
Arcega Whiteside failing, but it is worth mentioning. Uh, Nelson Aguilar is here for another year. I think they're definitely going to let him walk in free agency, but they do have a short-term incentive to give him the ball because if he puts up numbers this year, that's a bigger comp pick they get when he walks. Right. And he's, he's a young receiver. He's only going to be like a 25-year-old free agent if he's coming off like an 800-plus yard year as the kind of co-number two receiver with Deshaun Jackson he could get like some stupid contract that everybody points out like this isn't gonna work you know like the redskins would totally do that yeah i mean if adam humphreys if adam humphreys can get nine and a half million a year or whatever he did the nelson aguilar could go over 10 with a a few you know well-timed big plays and if he has like a touchdown in the playoffs that everybody goes ooh at then that that could be a few more million right oh, there sure. so yeah they they actually have a reason to keep Aguilar involved unfortunately uh but i don't know maybe i i put our sega whiteside in the same tier as but ahead of david montgomery in the dynasty uh ranking article i did i'm kind of rethinking it a little bit mm-hmm. but it's like Alshon, would it really surprise you if he's just kind of like out of the picture in two years? Deshaun could be out of the picture after this year. Uh, Aguilar, I think, will be. Right. So long term, I love it. It's just this year, it's just, yeah. it's tough. it takes so many ifs, ands, or buts to, for me to really consider uh, Arcega Whiteside. Like, it's just going to take so much for and Philadelphia. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, he's not on my uh, best ball radar or anything like that. No. Um, so let's get on to some receivers that we are particularly bullish on. And this is our chance to do uh, our victory dance um, <laughs> because, folks, it happened. We were on this. For a long time, uh, dating back to your article d- debating the Ridley or Nicole Hardman uh, debate, uh, probably even before that, actually, we probably had discussed it enough to where it, it warranted an, an article. But, you know, Hardman goes ahead and gets drafted in, on day two by the Chiefs. So, yeah, and uh, it was kind of funny because I know people are going to eventually come around on this, but the initial reaction to Hartman going to Kansas City was some of the most unhinged, uh, just bitter. My list was wrong. I mean, you're, the GMs are wrong. Yeah, they were. I mean, the GMs make a lot of wrong choices, and it's not that I'm. It's not that we're saying we are smart because a team took him that high. Necessarily, it's like. We're still doubling down on this. Like we're saying, he's going to be good. Also, so um, it, it's one thing to to say. I, I can at least respect someone's position of saying, like, well, they reached for him anyway. But the people that are saying that probably can't look at it rationally enough to concede. But he is going to probably produce because this Tyree Kill thing. Who knows where it's going? Like his fixer uh, sent a letter to, to the NFL today and. Uh, incidentally uh it ended up in the hands of like a bunch of newspapers too and they have this supposed like text message between him and the accuser where the in all perfect punctuation i might add uh no slang capital letters periods commas apostrophes where she's apparently saying like i'm sorry you're right you didn't do that i was just hurt and trying to make it up to hurt you or something and like it's like and, and Tyree Kill's supposed message before that reads like lawyer writing. It reads like uh, it said so like stark <laughs> contrast to the 
things that came out on whereas comma <laughs> i was like oh that sounds like tyrese semicolons uh, yeah so it's kind of shady and i mean it does nothing to explain away a voice recording of well, you can find that transcript but i don't think tyree kills playing i don't think he's playing for the chiefs i don't think he's playing for anybody but i'm pretty sure he's not going to play for the chiefs and if he isn't then we're down to sammy watkins and i love sammy but that i don't know if that foot can do you know anything in particular he seemed okay once he came back for the playoffs last year but not like a hundred percent and having that foot be an issue in any form after like what three years ago it was something like that Mm -hmm. that's bad that that's a chronic condition or so it seems like and if we're down to just travis kelsey and maybe like 10 to 12 games of sammy watkins you're now in the position where you have to do one of a few things you have to either predict that pat mahomes will have a bad year and i've seen everybody knew he was going to regress even if he had tyree hill even if travis kelsey didn't have an ankle surgery everyone knew he was going to regress a little bit because so did tom brady and peyton manning Five thousand yards 50 touchdown seasons don't happen twice in a row that's not a bold statement oh, that, i thought that was galaxy brain stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah uh so it's like that's not cutting it you got to go further and i haven't seen anyone take it this far you need to either say pat mahomes is going to have like I don't know, eight to 12 quarterback outcome rather than, uh, you know, falling from one to uh, five or whatever the, the initial ostensible bold prediction was. Mm-hmm. You need to either take that stand or you need to say Sammy Watkins is going to play 16 games or you need to say Demarcus Robinson is going to put up 12,000 or 1200 yards or you need to say Michael Hardman is going to put up those numbers, not 1,200 necessarily, but um, I, what I, to be serious, see happening is Mahomes falls from 5,050 down to, I don't know, 4,335, 32, something like that. And even if he does that, that's still top five-ish quarterback numbers. Now, at that point, are you going to give that production to – Again, are you going to say 16 games for Watkins or are you going to give it to Robinson or Hardman? And no one wants to say that Robinson's going to do that quite. Like, no one wants to quite say either that Mahomes is just going to completely fall off the face of the earth. They're really reluctant to point out what their their intuition is telling them deep down. They have the voice in the back of their head saying, like, Hardman's going to catch the ball, uh, you know, 55, 60 times. He's going to have 900 yards this year. And they, they feel it, they hear it, and they're like, no, Demarcus Robinson's better. And like, and they're just kind of ignoring what – they feel the walls closing in, but they, they're like, ah, my rankings, I love them so much, my pre-draft rankings. And like, they can't quite come to terms with it. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to wait for like the rest of the fantasy industry at large to kind of uh, – so it's, so it's not so much like a – repenting scenario as much as like just kind of sneaking back into the crowd kind of thing where they're just where it, when it becomes common knowledge that like of course Michael Hardman's better than Demarcus Robinson and uh because we are otherwise not predicting a you know horrific downfall from Mahomes it's just going to be like Hardman does something you know and uh he'll probably do just fine at it he might even be really good people are ruling at people are just straight up ignoring the upside scenario with me hardman which is crazy like if anything the parallels to tyree kill uh character aside should have you very very much interested because tyree kill 
I I was not on him as a prospect because his his production was just incredibly bad in college, including at Western Alabama or whatever he was at. Huh. But part of that, in hindsight, probably had to do with because of how much time he was getting split between running back. And when he just focused on receiver with the Chiefs, he rapidly improved because he had the physical tools with which to project skill set growth. And Hardman was literally in his second year of receiver last year. He only played quarterback in high school in defensive back. He played corners uh, freshman year at Georgia. So that's two years. This guy who, he's not Tyreek Hill fast because no one is, but he might be kind of like the second fastest or pretty close in contention in the conversation. And he's very young. He could get a little bit faster yet, a little bit bigger yet. I think Calvin Ridley was older than Mikol is right now after his freshman season at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just turning 21. Well, that off. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it's like when you're th- as young as Hardman is, when you're as inexperienced as he is, when you have the work ethic that he does, and you turn anyone had turned down the tape of him and watched him a little bit, you see he's got just like pissed off attitude. Like he, he goes 110%. Guy like that is not going to just uh, turn into a blob when he gets out there. He's not going to just become some sort of passive disinterested player like no he's going to be a 4-3-3 guy who's still learning and was already pretty good and he's going to be you know going for the kill always so uh either way it's like you're down to it you got to make that call are you saying Mahomes does bad this year or are you going to swallow your pride and just say like all right I guess I don't need to take my pre-draft rankings that seriously it's not that big of a deal um but yeah a lot of people were just straight up offended that he went ahead of Hakeem Butler and whatever else uh yeah Hakeem Butler chief among them it felt like but yeah but uh in any case I, th- I think that uh, I think Michael what did, you got him in like the seventh of that uh, seventh or eighth okay so I, that was just uh, there's like a little bit of intentionally splashing the pot a little bit there oh yeah because i knew i was going to like you know talk with or talk on the xm show about it like five minutes after that pick so i was like okay i want to do something kind of i was crazy. gonna take him if you hadn't took him and uh i actually am going to try to get that in best ball drafts uh it makes sense to stack two receivers in an offense because as long as you're paying a price that is low enough for what the aggregate offensive production is you can kind of just corner a share of that team's passing game and and with a high probability of claiming that share in any given week so yeah i'm gonna try to get uh, sammy stacked with Mikol hardman on plenty of teams because i do have faith in mahomes and i won't consider for a second the possibility that he was the product of some system it's like he's really really good and if he's not 5050 touchdown good then he'll just have to settle for yeah like 4235 touchdown good the, the you know possibility that Mahomes himself gets better like you know he obviously had you know top end weapons this past year and you know again we we don't know exactly what form of Kelsey will be getting back and obviously no Tyree Kill in all likelihood this year but I mean that was that was Mahomes' first year as a starter like he yeah, could get better. I mean, the numbers might not immediately like jump back to to last year's totals, but yeah, he might not throw a touchdown literally one out of every ten passes. But <laughs> still, uh, twelve like, or thirteen isn't that bad either. And yeah, that's I, like regression will come for everybody eventually. But it's like as much as I think he'll regress this year, definitely give me the over on whatever for twenty twenty. Like it's he's he's definitely the truth and. There, there are ways to amplify his strengths by giving him speed like Tyree Hill, Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey. Um, but if you take one of those pieces away, it's not like he's going to turn into, uh, I don't know what, it, he, he's he's just awesome. It's like, it's like people will like outright, outright deny that that would happen, but then they also treat this Chiefs offense 
with that condition in mind. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a habit both ways kind of pessimism that people are like no one wants to, to be the person who comes out and says like Pat Mahomes uh, is a bust any earlier than like the 7th round in fantasy this you year. Be a narc. But if you want to if you want to say that he's an acceptable 5th round pick then you need to explain why these receivers are priced in your your rankings more like a guy who's a 10th round quarterback like how do you rationalize that where are you predicting a trade or something like what's going on here there you go um but yeah it's it's for me it's i feel like i've got in you and me both i think we got you know totally adding up in the premises it's like if pat mahomes is 80 percent of what he was last year and if sammy Watkins's foot is as problematic as we have reason to believe it is I don't see how you can rank Hardman lower than I don't know three or four in your dynasty rookie rankings. It's like I can see the case for Kyler Murray, Josh Jacobs ahead of him. Those are the only ones that I have ahead of him personally. There you go. I, I think that's a good note uh, for for uh, Hardman to end on. I, I do think that he should be valued uh, that high for this year and beyond. Um, let's get into let's get into DK Metcalf and then let's talk about the two or the three kind of exciting potentially. Uh, Arizona rookies yeah. uh, before we wrap things up here. So, uh, and we can get to one or two other guys here uh, before we got to sign off. But Metcalf, what did you make of his precipitous fall? What did you make of the Seahawks scooping him? I think it's a really good pick for Seattle, especially if Doug Baldwin's on the way out. Then, as much as it wasn't uh, an ideal landing spot, you'd prefer to see him in the air raid or something. As much as that's the case. If Baldwin's out, then I think Tyler Lockett becomes the primary slot receiver in that offense, and Metcalf plays more the role. L- Lockett got plenty of slot snaps, excuse me, last year even, but I'm thinking of Metcalf more in the Tyler Lockett of two years ago role, where it was kind of just, you know, he's running fly routes and deep posts, things like that, because Metcalf plus Russell Wilson, I think, could be pretty deadly. Oh, like, yeah. uh, the play off the play action to Metcalf. I, I really don't know what you can do to protect yourself in that case other than like uh you know give up constant eight to 12 yard runs to Carson and Penny instead and that might be your best option but uh I think that Metcalf is totally legit in terms of skill I I think either the NFL overthought it with him or he might have fallen because of just like they couldn't imagine him playing as many personnel groupings as some of some of these other guys like the fourth round pick Gary Jennings out of West Virginia. I can imagine him playing more snaps as a rookie than Metcalf just because he can play slot or outside. Whereas while Metcalf will play some slot looks, you just have to, there's no way to not do that occasionally in the NFL nowadays. I don't think they'll really be psyched to have him there. Whereas with Jennings, it's like he can play either spot fits like a glove. Doesn't matter. Jennings was so good at at that at West Virginia. Yeah, definitely. So I like both of those guys actually, because I think, um, well, who knows what happened? Like Pete Carroll could get fired this year or next. He could just quit because he doesn't like what the team looks like. He, he could pull the. He's kind of sneaky old too. He, he could, yeah. Well, he's, he did take his shirt off in that video, so yeah, he, he is old. He's been he's been eating like uh, a pound of gorilla brain. <laughs> Not sorry, you're thinking of the brains of a gorilla. I'm thinking of a pro a, a, <laughs> unregulated smart man potion that he <laughs> takes uh gets it's the kind of thing that helps it, amounts of fish oil yeah he can't he can't calculate uh jet fuel fire uh numbers the right way without his gorilla brain and uh i don't know it's like he could just get a little wacky he could 
he could decide to go to Margaritaville at a moment's notice, like he kind of did with USC. I don't know. Um, if that team does have some sort of different leadership in two years and they just start going more like, uh, you know, air raid or something, then Russell Wilson could put up insane numbers and Metcalf could just go along for the ride in that case. But I think Metcalf will be good on his own part. I also have to wonder if that foot injury from two years ago played a part in him falling because it is it, legitimate to wonder that it, it was a broken foot that ended his season, you know, yeah, and like, yeah, the second week of the season. Yep. And, uh, I don't know if that's a problem for Sammy Watkins. It could be a problem for Metcalf. I mean, he's, he's putting a lot more weight on that foot. He's putting a lot of torque on that foot. Yeah. And so I, I get it if that was a concern. Uh, but if he's running outside receiver snaps in a Russell, Russell Wilson offense, I will definitely bet on Metcalf winning. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that that's sort, that's sort of the thing. I, I think one of my favorite sort of sort of distilled down DK Metcalf things is like, He's a one-trick pony a little bit, but it's one hell of a trick. Right, and I, th- I think you can do a couple. I think if you have like a, a more spread-out offense, he can do kind of more like those drag route things. I wouldn't want him being one of three routes running underneath routes. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, you're back to just the post and the fly route. You're not really running out routes with him. You're not asking him to do sideline uh, toe tapping things heading outward anyway like you're gonna you're gonna chuck the ball up in the air and hope he jumps up and reels it in toward the sideline but you're gonna have him going forward as much as you can yes exactly exactly um all right so let's move on to the arizona guys um so kyler murray like you mentioned a top three uh dynasty slash uh, redraft asset uh as far as this rookie class is concerned what are your expectations of him uh within this you know, Cliff Kingsbury offense that I don't really know which way it's going to go. I'm a little bit lower on this Kingsbury thing working out, but I'm high on Kyler Murray at the same time. So I'm kind of conflicted. Well, I am pretty optimistic. I think I'm way more aggressive on Kyler Murray's 2019 ranking than most people. I, if I'm doing it just on a projection basis, I think he's going to keep coming out as like the number six to number eight quarterback for me. And I know that's high, but a lot of the quarterbacks that go ahead of him in the standard ADP are guys like Drew Brees. And it, do we really expect him to be more inconsistent than Drew Brees is at this point where he could just be a dud because he's on the road or he could be a dud because Sean Payton has an offense now where he's totally content to throw the ball 20 times if he's got a lead. And we're start. I mean, we, we started to see little flashes of, of age catching up with Drew Brees in oh, the playoffs, I thought. Totally, totally. And the thing with Murray is – of course it's not going to be like a proper texas tech mike leach air raid the nfl literally doesn't let you run plays that fast like the center guy will hold on to the ball and not give it to you uh fast enough to do that and there's also personnel uh like illegal formation things that would apply to things that you do with the college air raid so he can't do all of those things but i we have to consider them the favorite to run at the, the fastest tempo like we just there's not even i don't think it's even close um in that case, if Kyler Murray is this guy who is basically like a faster Russell Wilson in an offense that even if they're a terrible team, like, or even maybe it's all the better if they are a terrible yeah, team playing from behind. Yeah. It's like if he's getting big usage, if he's getting uh, let's say average or higher pass attempt volume, plus the likely rushing attempt volume that he would get in that scenario. I mean, we could be talking 800 yards rushing along with like 3500 plus yards passing basic i don't know something more like a way better version of what trubisky did last year something like that and 
I think there's a chance he's just good right away too. And if he, and if he is like, that's the one thing I don't think people are asking enough is like, what if he's actually good? Mm -hmm. He could be the top quarterback as a rookie in fantasy, uh, in real life, of course not, or almost certainly not anyway. But if he runs for like a thousand yards at, you know, seven and a half yards a carry. And if he, if he's throwing, I don't know, 36 passes a game, that's just volume that's hard to compete with if you're other quarterbacks because you can't run like he can and uh, you're probably not getting as many plays uh, you know, snapped per time of possession unit as they are. So it could go rough. Like I don't expect him to be consistent or anything, but it's just even if he has his bad days, he could run like if he has a de- if he has a bad dead end game as a passer, he could just have a bunch of desperation scrambles that add up to 120 yards and when they're playing prevent defense in the fourth quarter or something Mm -hmm. like that so i'm gonna end up with a lot of shares i think and maybe too many maybe i'm gonna have to maybe cut myself off at some point (laughs) uh just because of like injury risk it's like i don't want to i don't want to have like you know literally 40 teams with kyler murray because that it's that's 40 teams that suck if he has one bit of bad luck um but yeah i have uh really high hopes and I, I think the floor and ceiling both are higher than people have grappled with to this point i think so too so uh he's going to be really interesting i think you, you brought up some really compelling points as to how this offense is going to look and you're talking about his passing who are the arizona receivers that you're targeting and it doesn't even need to be a, a question of isabella or um hakeem butler like is there a situation where you like christian kirk the most out of this group or yeah how, how does it play out for you in your mind in dynasty it's definitely christian kirk i can see in redraft the argument for keeping larry fitzgerald first because there, there's going to be a, so many wide receiver snaps to, to dole out in this offense we don't even know for sure what kirk's status is from his own broken foot mm-hmm. um i'm hoping for the best because i am a christian kirk fan i, I really think he's good and I would love to see him at full strength in this offense. If he is, it's not, it's probably not that close to me. Uh, the case where Fitzgerald is, has a strongest case for, uh, 2019 is in PPR. Cause he, he could have like an ugly inefficient year where he still catches tons of passes just cause there's tons of targets that are, you know, and, and that offensive line isn't going to be great. He's more underneath than anything else. He could finish the year with like, I don't know, 160 targets for barely over a thousand yards. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that. That's definitely like the top that that target count specifically is the very high extreme end of outcome possibilities. But he also could do something respectable and, you know, give you like 85 catches for 900 yards and four or five touchdowns. And you might be able to get him in, I don't know, seventh, eighth, something like that in PPR leagues. So that could work. If if Kirk is healthy, I'll take him and redraft two over Fitzgerald. Uh, there's going to be other guys that do things, and they could run kind of like a three-and-a-half receiver base in this offense. Like if the three-receiver, one tight end, the uh, the 11 personnel, is that what everybody calls it? So. Uh, yeah, the 11 personnel that we like to say so much now. Love it uh we love to say it and it's really it's really i'm here for it (laughs) yes (laughs) yes yes and um there could so there could be like i don't know man like there could be three receivers accounting for over a thousand snaps each in this offense and then like a couple more splitting 1200 more snaps there could be a lot a lot of mileage for all of fitzgerald kirk 
uh isabella even trent sherfield i think he's being overlooked he's i think he's a pretty convincing prospect even though he went undrafted and hasn't been noticed to this point so there's a bunch of really good candidates and there's a lot of spots so i think it'll be a very inconsistent frustrating offense from receiver to receiver but i think someone will pretty much always be busy it it might come down to more like the personnel of the defense the kind of scheme the kind of zones they specifically use the most because if you're trying to take the top off the defense that you're looking to isabella and butler and if you're looking for underneath stuff you might be thinking andy isabella but that might be more against like underneath zone where he's not getting jammed and he can kind of look for that soft spot and then make the yards after the catch work because uh, if he's got to shake a guy in a jam you'd probably just go with like sherfield Fitz, kirk any of those guys really Keyshawn johnson i think is worth mentioning in dynasty leagues there you go. because they could keep eight receivers or something like that on their final roster i mean if, they, if they're gonna have this cliff kingsbury offense it makes all the sense in the world to find room for that yeah and he is very like i know ever there's already the distinction between like flanker and whatever outside receiver and slot receiver the xyz terminology but kingsbury could have more like subtypes where it's uh because they, they have like starting inside receiver starting outside receiver at texas tech and there's that i can imagine Keyshawn johnson being the most polished non-fits non-kirk for the inside receiver snaps so he's kind of like uh gary jennings could have a sneaky high immediate workload because of his uh particular uh personnel grouping traits i think there could be something similar like that with Keyshawn johnson where he he makes the team surprisingly and surprisingly plays like 600 snaps just because uh i don't know it's outside it's like butler isabella sherfield and uh kirk but there's there's a uh, plenty of mixing and matching there's gonna be trips formations there's gonna be uh, all kinds of nonsense going on and uh you know those inside snaps are going to be up for grabs and isabella might not be ready butler not might not translate for it uh if if fits isn't available for or if fits or kirk aren't available for injury or just uh workload reasons then i think Keyshawn johnson could get some run i'm not going to pick him in redraft but i'll keep an eye on him though over the course of the year yeah i do i do think that Keyshawn johnson flew under the radar i was happy to see him uh, get drafted um, and I think that he does bring that that sort of polished element, uh, whereas Isabella and Butler. Of, of There's the a lot of projection rookies. with those two. Exactly. So uh, Johnson, pretty interesting guy. Doesn't spell his name the same way that, of the Keyshawn Johnson that you're used to. So re- please remember to keep that in mind. But that's going to wrap things up for today's show. We'll be back next week because there's so many rookies to talk about. And we still got to get to A.J. Brown, some of the other running backs. Uh, we got to figure out what Baltimore's doing uh, with their guys. Um, but for, today, for today's show, for Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the Roto-Wire NFL Podcast. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.